Welcome to the Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies. Reminger Co. LPA is a full-service law firm with over 150 lawyers spread across 14 offices and serving states throughout the Midwest. My name is Zach Pyers, and I'm a partner in Reminger's Columbus, Ohio office. And I'm Kenton Steele, an associate in Reminger's Columbus office. This podcast on emerging technologies will examine how changes in technology and business models affect our daily lives and how the law is adapting to respond to these changes. On today's podcast, we'll be joined by our special guest, Karen Mowry, um, and we'll be discussing some of the common issues and uh, some of the background information on ride-sharing regulations. Uh, Karen, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, certainly. I'm Karen Mowry, uh, an attorney with Eckert, Siemens, Sharon, and Malat. I'm based in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Karen, um, I know that you're a, a real wealth of uh, knowledge as it relates to ride-sharing regulations and the, the background information um, as to how these regulations came about. Can you tell us a little bit about how you first became involved in this process? Sure. The way I got involved in this process um, it started really about three months after I had uh, entered private practice in 2014, and that was following a lengthy career in uh, Pennsylvania state government, with most of it being at the Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission. Um, and in fact, although the PUC regulates uh, many different industries, uh, including electric and natural gas, my first area of focus when I got to the PUC uh, was transportation, and I did that. Um, for about six years. So I'm very familiar with the transportation industry and the way it's regulated. Then also because of my subsequent positions at the PUC, I have a lot of um, relationships with staff and and I understand how the process works pretty much throughout the agency. So the firm that I was working with was already doing uh, government relations work for Uber and I had the opportunity to to pitch my experience and and to hopefully represent the company on legal regulatory matters, and Uber did hire us for that purpose, and um, they they wanted to us to help them either become exempt from PUC regulation or become authorized to legally provide services in Pennsylvania. So we ended up filing an application uh, for statewide authority in April of 2014, and while that was still pending. It was taking longer than anticipated. So while it was still pending, uh, we filed an emergency temporary authority application just to serve in Pittsburgh because that was the focus of the company's um, business at that time. That application is called an ETA application. It's provided for under the PUC's regulations, and that was approved within a few weeks. So Uber became legal to operate in Pittsburgh in August of 2014. And then later that year, uh, the PUC approved the statewide authority. So by January 15, um, Uber was able to operate legally throughout Pennsylvania. And in fact, uh, the first day Uber launched in Harrisburg, um, where I live, I requested a trip. And I I didn't have anywhere to go, but I I asked the, the driver to take me to the mall. I spent about 15 minutes there. I came out, you know, requested a driver. It was the same guy because he hadn't gone very far. It wasn't being heavily used then, but um, it's very popular in Harrisburg now. 
Okay, that's very uh, interesting. So it sounds like you're very much, uh, we're in on the ground floor in, in a very significant way as it relates to these companies getting started. Um, with that, as I said, you know, a, a real, you're a real wealth of knowledge as it relates to regulatory issues and ride sharing. Um, can you explain a little bit for our listeners what entity and, and who is generally responsible for oversight of ride-sharing companies? Um, the oversight of uh, ride-sharing companies really does vary across many jurisdictions. There are some states that, that really do all of their regulation of transportation at the local level. Um, but, but there are also many, many jurisdictions that, that uh, regulate transportation at the statewide level. Uh, Uber and TNCs generally prefer the model that it's statewide because they want to see the consistency across the state. So there was a lot of lobbying for statewide legislation to address TNCs. Uh, and, and quite a few states have, have um, adopted statewide legislation. Often it, the legislation itself uh, designates the administrative agency that will be you know, responsible for oversight. And the two most common agencies are either the state's Department of Transportation or the Public Utility Commission. And there are some other types of agencies that have responsibility over across the country would be uh, the Secretary of State, the Department of Insurance, uh, sometimes it's the Department of Revenue, a public safety type of agency, uh, or a consumer protection agency. Uh, there are just two states that don't actually have any statewide legislation so that it's all handled at the local level, but then there are several others who have statewide insurance that only addresses insurance. I mean, statewide legislation that only addresses insurance. And then in those situations, the rest of the details of regulation are left to uh, local government. And as I mentioned, it's a lot easier for TNCs to comply with the, with the law if it's the same across the state. And in fact, it even can get a little challenging for them when they are operating you know, significantly around the border of a state. So New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, uh, all you know, are neighboring states of, of Pennsylvania. And if you're in that area, you have to become familiar with more than one set of, of rules. And, and often when um, the statewide legislation is enacted, it tells, it tells local government what they can or can't regulate. Um, so some state laws actually say, you know, we're the controlling authority and local government can't do anything. They can't impose any additional burdens on TNCs. But then other states will allow at least for the imposition of fees and maybe some rules by airports. Uh, and then there are other states that just say, yeah, here's our rules if you're going to have TNCs, but, but you all local governments get to decide whether you wanna regulate them or ban them. Um, and, and then one other thing I wanted to point out about this is that there's a lot of uh, different ways that, that the states fund the oversight responsibilities. The three main ways are, one, they just do it through permit fees, you know, that when they apply for the permit, they have to pay a fee, and that fee is intended to generate the revenue that's needed to oversee their operations. And then another um, common way is through an annual regulatory assessment, 
And that would usually be based on something like revenues or the number of trips that they provided. And then one other somewhat common model is, is using civil penalties so that when they enforce the rules uh, against TMCs who, who may have violated them and they collect civil penalties, they use that to fund the whole oversight. Very interesting. It, it's something we've discussed a little bit on this show a few times that um, there is certainly this patchwork of regulatory uh, bodies, state and local, uh, different administer or different again regulatory bodies in each state that each have something to say about how these companies operate. So um, there's certainly a lot to deal with there for these companies. Um, just to get a better picture on some of those issues, can you walk us through? Uh, sort of what happened in Pennsylvania when when you became involved in the process? You know, how did they get to the point where um, they reached adopting statewide regulations um, and, and what it looked like for the companies that were looking to get involved in that space? Um, when I first got in, involved in Pennsylvania's regulatory process, um, the, the commission, the, it is the regulatory utility commission that, that oversees this in Pennsylvania. And the the PUC was still trying to figure out even if it had jurisdiction over TNC services um, because the TNC companies were saying that, that it didn't. Uh, so they were still looking into that and, and then kind of on the second part of it. And if so, how are they going to fit TNCs into this traditional regulatory framework? Um, the PUC had been regulating taxi cabs for over a century and they knew how to do that. You know. They, they paid a lot of attention to the adequacy and the reliability and the safety of their service. They made sure they were charging just and reasonable rates. Um, they had an application pro process that could be cumbersome, but it was designed to make sure there was a public need for this service, that these carriers were technically fit, uh, financially fit, and that there wouldn't be a, an adverse effect on, on existing carriers. But what the PUC was quickly realizing is that TNCs didn't really fit into any of those um, any of those uh, pockets because they really rely on the competitive market to dictate how they're going to to address their operations and and the big part of that is consumer satisfaction. What is it that the consumers want? If they want it, we'll give it to them. But we don't want to give them it, them something just because you, the regulator, thinks that they need it. And, and meantime, on the other side of town. The taxi cabs, you know, were clamoring uh, to to have the same burdens and standards and requirements imposed on TNCs as they were subjected to. Um, but as the PUC was learning, those those didn't seem to be applicable to TNCs. So 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 the agency really had to step up and figure out how to do this. But one thing that that really helped the Pennsylvania PUC is that they already had on their books, and nobody really remembers the reason, but they already had on their books a special certificate or license for experimental service authority. And it was interesting that there was just no one who had who had any idea where that came from, I and mean, it had been in the books for years. But what the commission was able to do is use that um, to develop more like temporary regulations, rules, you know, through orders, and that that would apply to the TNCs, and that really allowed the PUC to to embrace this transformation of the transportation industry. And 
looking at how these things came about and, and how this process worked, um, were the TNC companies already operating in Pennsylvania when the regulatory process got started? I think those things started happening around the same time. I mean, I, I think the TNCs were talking to the PUC about what their plans were, and they were trying to convince them that they didn't need to regulate them. So there were interactions already happening before uh, operations started, but nothing official was filed with the PUC or um, was pronounced by the PUC uh, before both Uber and Lyft started operating in, in Pittsburgh in February 2014. Uh, they seem to both have uh, reached a point that they didn't think they were going to talk the regulators into you know, their, their way of, of this oversight framework. So they, they just launched their operations. Um, then while, while the Uber and Lyft applications for statewide authority were, were pending at the commission, the commission's own independent Bureau of Investigation and Enforcement filed complaints against both Uber and Lyft and sought cease and desist orders. And, and the whole reason they didn't think that they had done anything, you know, unsafe or that that was really a cause for for concern, but just the fact that they were operating without any kind of license. And at the time that regulators did become involved, um, what were some of the primary concerns as far as things that needed to be covered by regulations? Um, what issues were at the forefront of what needed to be addressed? Uh, what the what the commission and we saw this in other states too when we looked into to how that how that uh, rolled out, um, say in California and Colorado, DC, some of the other early adapters. Uh, what the regulators were all finding is that this innovation is great. We love what technology is doing, and it, how it's improving the transportation services that are available to the public. But that doesn't alter our obligation to protect public safety. Uh, these are still going to be vehicles being used to transport passengers um, around the state. And we need to make sure that, that we are doing our job, that the law is imposed on us for, you know, 100 or more years. So what the many of the agencies did, and Pennsylvania was definitely included in this, was they, they really sought to strike a proper balance between safety and, and allowing innovation. So so they established some very basic safety nets that they were convinced would not stifle innovation. And so the, the three main areas that they focused on were insurance, driver integrity, and vehicle safety. And I think that the one, the only one that the TNCs were resistant on to some extent was the insurance. Of course, the TNCs have a lot of insurance. They have more than any taxicab company ever had. But there was a big debate at the beginning about whether the TNC could rely on the driver's insurance uh, during the during the time that they were maybe had the app on and they were just driving around waiting for a trip. And but the regulators felt very strongly, no, you're still driving in public on public highways and, and roads. And we want you to have primary responsibility from the minute the app goes on. Uh, now, they did establish different levels for if the app is just on versus you're on your way to a, 
pick up a rider or you have a rider in your vehicle. The levels were different, but that was the one thing that um, the regulators were pretty consistent about. And later that got picked up in statewide legislation as well. Uh, so, so driver integrity, that was obviously very important. They were going to be allowing, you know, members of the public to enter vehicles driven by, you know, personal drivers, you know, not professional drivers. Um, they hadn't been, they, they weren't under the, the kind of control, really much of any control, the way that taxi cab drivers are by the taxi cab companies. So, so some of the main things that they, that they required the TNCs to do, which they were already doing, but maybe they, they finessed it a little to be specifically the way they wanted it, but it was, um, you know, making sure you have in place a zero tolerance policy so that there can't be any, you know, drug or alcohol use. And, and if a passenger even suspects it, that driver has to be removed from the platform pending an investigation. Um, the other big one, obviously, was criminal background checks. Now, there's a lot of different ways to do those, and we see a lot of different requirements throughout the country for what they look like. But, but the key there was just that you had to you had to do it before you could let the driver operate, you know, make one trip. Um, and a big part of the criminal background check would was the um, the the sexual offender sex offender registry. If, that's almost universal throughout the country to this day that if you're on that registry, you're never going to be a TNC driver. Um, the, uh, a thir the third um, component they looked at were like the driver history records. You know, you just had to make sure that over the past few years um, that this driver hadn't had a, an extremely poor record of, of committing major moving violations or, or you know, DUIs or anything like that. And then some of the other things were just um, were more related to the app and the platform itself. And that was just that not so much on the drivers, but, but making sure that you're giving passengers a way to identify the drivers on the app. Um, and then, then, then the use of placards so that if the, if the rider is waiting for, for the vehicle and sees a vehicle that sounds like it's right, there's at least a placard on it so that you know, signifies to, to the passenger that that's, that's the TNC vehicle they're waiting for. All right. Well, Karen, thank you very much for joining us today. That's going to conclude uh, this discussion on the Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies. Please join us in our next episode where we'll continue our discussion uh, with our special guest, Karen Mowry, uh, regarding ride-sharing regulations and how not only how those regulations work, but also how they came about, why they're put in place, and the concerns that uh, they are designed to address. So with that, uh, we thank you again for joining us and hope that you will join us again for our next episode of the Reminger Report Emerging Technologies podcast. Mm -hmm.